Apollo, Prometheus, Zeus, Titus. Three of these are Greek gods. One of them, it's a god of the digital world. That would be Titus. I mean, did Zeus found uber-successful digital ad agencies, Razorfish and Schematic? Did Apollo sit on the board of Samsung? Did Prometheus steer the digital transformation of the BBC? Nope. Titus did that. And today, he joins us to discuss his involvement in the crypto and blockchain world. A visionary with a stellar track record, Titus has some important things to say. And besides, Zeus wasn't available today. So what would our names be if we were Greek gods? I'm Satoshis, the god of bad dad jokes. And I'm Cannabis, the god of ganja. <laughs> and this is episode number 340 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, eight, Who's bad? The God of Ganja. That's great alliteration there, Mr. Travis Wright. Thanks, man. <laughs> Dave's not here. <laughs> I'm completely sober right now, so I don't know why you're calling me the why why that is a reference today, but that was good. That was nice. Yeah, this is a great show. You know, Titus, we met Titus at World Crypticon at the uh, World Crypto Poker Tournament. At I thought Mike we Tyson. met him at my house. I was at my mansion. I saw <laughs> That's right. There. I said, hey, why don't you come over and play poker and uh, hang out with my tigers? And I noticed, I noticed, did you notice this? I used to have pink flamingos all around in my backyard in my pool, but I think the tigers ate them. I don't, all I saw is the feathers. Fink flamingos? That's what I have. You didn't see them? <laughs> I did not. It's stand on one leg, you know that? I do know that. Very nice. Yeah. Anyways, you know who, continue what you're doing, Mr. Joe Kahn. I don't mean to interrupt. You know who else stands on one leg? Titus? <laughs> no, I was thinking people with one leg. I mean, you know, it really sucks to <laughs> have lost a leg, but those are people who stand on one leg. Actually, I saw a video the other day of this guy who he had had lost a leg and he had like literally a stick that came out of the stump and he was like tap dancing. Uh, amazing. Like this guy dances way better with one leg, one real leg and one stick leg than I'll ever dance with two perfectly good legs. So you're going to say you're saying you're not going to be on Dancing with the Stars? I am not going to be the next Sean Spicer. That is correct. The, he was so bad. So bad. I mean, I, I don't really watch the show, but because of the controversy that happened around him, uh, I don't know if you followed it at all, but not basically, once. yeah, basically, he was horrible. Just a horrible dancer. Is he really a star? What is this now? It's like dancing with the G listers. Yeah, well, maybe the B-listers and C-listers and D-listers are busy. I mean, we're E-listers. We're way so. lower than that. We're like, we're like, why? <laughs> That's what people ask when they listen to the show. <laughs> anyway, we're glad that you guys are here for the Bad Crypto Podcast. You're really going to enjoy this interview with Titus today. But before we get to it, just want to give shout outs to our sponsors really quickly. By now, hopefully you have downloaded the eToro wallet and opened an account. If you're a U.S. citizen and it's your first account with eToro, if you drop $50 into 
the eToro wallet and then open a position in any of the 15 cryptocurrencies they currently offer. And Travis and I will send you $25 in Bitcoin. Over 11 million people around the world use eToro. They're a rapidly growing exchange and wallet, super cool tools, copy trading features, and virtual portfolio, $100,000 in fake money that you can play around with. It's like imagine that you've got $100,000 in Monopoly money. Only you can buy and trade cryptos with it and see how you do. That's all there. But we want to give you Bitcoin. And go ahead and do it now. Go to badco.in forward slash eToro and hop on the eToro train. Chugga, 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 choo-choo. And our other sponsor today is MobiPay.io, M-O-B-I-E-P-A-Y.io. We met Brandon and his team in Bali, and we loved what they were doing and uh, they're really making mobile payments very simple. They got this really sweet ecosystem uh, for you to check out. And actually, there's a really cool deal going on on their website right now. If you go to mobipay.io, you can actually sign up and get $10 worth of uh, MBX tokens for absolutely free. So you're going to want to check it out. They do this cashback programs on purchases. They do. They have this nice MobiPay ecosystem. You're going to want to check it out. We love those guys over there. And in fact, they that company is the one that won token tank mm-hmm. so they're doing some good stuff check them out mobipay.io thanks to our sponsors and thanks to you for listening you are going to be rewarded right now with some great content stand by for liftoff while in vegas for vegas blockchain week And while at the World Crypto Poker Tournament, there was a gentleman, he looked rather distinguished, and he was surrounded by people, and I thought, okay, at least two people think this guy is important. And so I shook his hand, I said, I'm Joel, he said, I'm Titus. And turns out, he actually is kind of a a big deal. He launched two of the world's largest digital ad agencies, Razorfish and schematic and apparently he's now in the crypto world i don't know exactly what his involvement is but we're about to find out welcome titus otherwise known as rd titus otherwise known as richard titus otherwise known as ricardo welcome to bad crypto <laughs> i don't know about that last one um i uh so my involvement in crypto began a very long time ago so i, I i'm not going to do the whole life story but I've been a serial entrepreneur executive, but my original origin story, I was actually a hacker and a, and a heavy metal musician. Um, and that probably would have been the end of it when we were signed to a major label when I was 17. I thought I, you know, I'd achieved all my aims in life and had been successful. And being dropped on my 18th birthday, I realized maybe I needed to find something else other than music to, to make a living. Um, that was a, that was a birthday other, gift, huh? Hey, happy birthday, yeah, well, Titus. Oh, yeah, we're dropping the, you from the label. The irony is, oh, the bows of the band. And if you know about bands, they make uh, blockchain companies look really collaborative. So, <laughs> But uh, what's funny is I had, as a young man, the reason I was so into computers, my dad worked in the defense industry. And I was really into computers because of MIDI. There was this little port on the back of a Commodore uh, 60, 64 that said MIDI. I didn't know what that was, but there was no internet. So it took a lot more researching to find out. But that was a MIDI port. And this there was this crazy idea that, uh, the National Association of Music Manufacturers have been a meeting there where they said, what if we could connect our computers and, and electronic instruments and have some sort of protocol? And it started with not very much thinking. And then like all great technologies, it evolved as the community pushed and you know, now MIDI and, and another thing I was involved in very early, digital recording, hard disk recording, 
have really changed the industry. Well, MIDI is what brought us the 80s, right? That was absolutely the 80s. That is what brought us New Wave. That's what brought us the cars and so much early digital music, the synthesizer and and, uh, music tracks. So I began, my dad, we had an internet connection much earlier than most people because of what my dad did. And I quickly learned that using a little piece of software called FTP, there's no browser yet. Did you your dad find, invent internet porn? Is that how he got started? No, but I found you could FTP music files for my synthesizers, and they were very expensive. So this was my original, the reason I started researching this. Um, unfortunately, I also downloaded some ASCII pictures of submarines and almost got my dad's security clearance yanked. And uh, after a visit by some men in cheap suits, or cheap shoes and nice suits, uh, I got my own computer. <laughs> and so I began running a BBS, and I ran a BBS uh, and got really into, like, being, I, I wouldn't really call it a real hacker, but I was like a script kitty. I was really into BBSs and free demo software. and But I got really into encryption because that was something at that time that was sort of punk rock and rebellious to encrypt things because God knows the FBI wanted to read the love letter I wrote my girlfriend in Michigan on the internet. And so that passion around cryptography stayed with me a very long time. And when the Satoshi White Paper came out, I read it from a cryptographer's point of view, from a, from a sort of encryption, really interested in new use cases for encryption and thought, oh, that's really cool. That money thing's never going to work. But like this, this idea of the encryption is kind of interesting. And that's how I got involved. And then a few years later, a guy named Brock Pierce, who I'm sure you know, gave me 10 Bitcoin in exchange for signing up for some piece of software and announcing it on, I think it was LinkedIn. It could have been AOL. <laughs> and, so, and so I had those 10 Bitcoin and that kind of was the beginning. That and a guy named Michael Turpin, who I work very closely with now, really kept pushing me to pay attention to this technology that frankly, I probably would have ignored because there were so many things to do. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And you've had, as, as Joel mentioned in the intro, you know, not only have you had this, you know, entree into the crypto world, but you've you've done this amazing stuff in the digital world, Razorfish. Now, Razorfish, I'm very familiar with this because I'm I've been a digital marketer for a long time. Did Razorfish, what then got acquired by Sapient, and then now is part of Publicis. It's like so you, you skipped like six steps there. Uh, oh, it was when, bunch, when they merged, <laughs> so Publicis bought Razorfish SBI from Microsoft for six hundred million dollars. I left before we sold it to SBI, so about three acquisitions before that. But what's really interesting about that story is Razorfish and Sapient were mortal enemies. Like, we got up in the morning in the early days of Razorfish to destroy Sapient, and I'm pretty sure they got up with the same mission. And so when they merged the brands, everyone at Razorfish, like, poured one out. (laughs) We were just very, very sad about that. We actually just had our our 20-year anniversary of Razorfish. So all of the founders, with one exception, all flew to New York last summer to get on the same boat we had our lunch party on 20 years ago. That, the, the, the co-founder of Razorfish is now the CEO of the company that runs the boat tours in the harbor. And we went around Hornblower, and we went around the harbor, and we you know, drank and talked about it all the time. That's so wild. That's such a great, such a great story. There's, and, and, and just seeing how you know the space has evolved, and I've actually had many conversations with, with Sheldon Montiero. I'm, I'm sort of a, you know, sort of a um, marketing technology background. I've been in that space. So They've done some really cool stuff at Sapient Now where they're actually teaching people marketing technology and actually training the marketing technologist over there. Sheldon, Sheldon's a great dude. So, you know, I think, you know, in a parallel, it's like I've spent all this time and Joel spent all this time in, in marketing and in digital, and we found our way into the blockchain space. <clears throat> now, Joel and I, we started Bad Crypto about two and a half years ago just because we were seeing the emerging technologies. We were seeing how blockchain can impact the world and so w- with that 
what is your impression of blockchain and how do you see from your perspective of running just a huge agency, how is blockchain maybe going to impact, first of all, the advertising world? Because it seems like it's going to impact that space tremendously. Well, it's interesting. So uh, the first thing I want to say is I think the blockchain the blockchain is an interesting idea uh, because it, it's one of the really mo the most interesting uses of encryption and also uh, a decentralized database. And, and I think that there's a whole bunch of principles around that that are really exciting. One of the first things the industry did, I think because they were having trouble raising money, is began innovating around the sort of financial services fundraising piece of things. And that's how we got into sort of things like ICOs and things like this. But the platform itself, I think is quietly infiltrating, just like the internet did, most industries. So I always tell this story is uh, I pitched, Razorfish went and pitched a big financial services firm in the 1980s. And it was us, IBM, and Accenture. And we went in and they all they both had basically flaming spinning e-logos. They said, we're about the internet. And I went in and I said, look, I'm about customers. And so and we won the business. And so right. the blockchain to me is just an enabling protocol which allows you to do really interesting things. And in some places where authority, authenticity, um, having multiple people control, but not totally possess an asset, you know, traceability, sort of pseudonymity, all these things are really important principles. What we are is in 19, you know, metaphorically is 1996. Like we know the internet is going to be a big deal. We can't envision Hulu or Amazon yet. We're still trying to make the images left, not left aligned. And blink maybe once in a while. Well, we just had so, Yahoo. I mean, that's kind of what we have. Right it's now. not even at Yahoo yet. Yahoo has started to have some content management. I mean, it's so early, right? And just like then, um, you know, as, as the founder of one of those early internet boom companies, uh, one of the co-founders, you know, I experienced that rapid rise of value and then the first sort of trough of despair. But actually, if you look out in the world, blockchain is going everywhere. I mean, car companies are using it. Fashion companies are using it. And it's early, it's experimental, and some of those use cases make no sense whatsoever. But some of them make a lot of sense. And I do think financial services will be the first industry that the blockchain completely revolutionized. And, and having lived in the music business and the newspaper business, I've been a part of businesses that were eaten from the inside by technology. And that is currently happening right now to the financial services business. And I don't just mean banks, and I don't just mean stock trading, I mean the entire ecosystem. Because the entire ecosystem is built on a principle that you 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 have you have to have an intermediary for trust, and that the blockchain the first thing it does is eliminate that need. And it's also built on the fiat currency model, right? And yeah. that's that's also um, something that that Bitcoin and crypto bring to the table, is saying we don't need your dirty fiat anymore mm -hmm. with your quantitative easing, uh, you know, and your inflation, because we've got a new solution for transacting and for payments, a new currency that doesn't follow your old rules. Well, and it's funny. So you asked me about ad tech and I skipped it because I think that first you need to understand what the blockchain does and what it's really powerful for. And then you can start to move to other use cases. And what cracks me up is people look at sort of street battles and try and call the victory of the war. But the very fact that the street battles are happening everywhere tells you that there's a wave of change coming. And that's what I see today across industry. So ad tech is an interesting one, right? So the joke we used to tell at Razorfish is half our advertising is wasted if we only knew which half. <laughs> but um, And this is an old ad joke. But mm -hmm. the other thing is we didn't actually do a lot of marketing services in the early days of Razorfish. We built websites. We built businesses. Later, we began making money monetizing 
sort of the acquisition of traffic and measurement of traffic to those businesses. But that was an iterative step after we built the actual business. Yeah, those are those so, are pre-analytics days, really, right? I you know I told this story the other day of like vignette story server. You know that was the content management system. Like there wasn't another one. It was either that or you rolled your own on you know on LAMP, Linux, Apache, <laughs> MySQL, and PHP. Um, the very fact that LAMP used to be on every businessman's tongue as they knew what that was, it cracks me up because, you know, software stacks today, people have no idea what software stack their, their businesses are built on. But in those days, it was very expensive to make bad decisions there. There are very, very few vignette story server implementations out on the web today because it's been superseded by the next generations of technology. Um, so what's really interesting to me is this, the, I think the first thing that the blockchain has done is forced us to confront the fact that we used to say this thing, everything that can be digital will be. Today, I think we have to acknowledge that everything that can be in the cloud will be. You know, so I always laugh when people are talking about like their Bitcoin is being on a ledger. No, they have a key on the ledger. Their Bitcoin's in the cloud. It's everywhere. It's actually on a ledger that was distributed. And this principle of things not having place, that's just going to continue forever. And so every industry who thinks they can stop the tide of digitalization is woefully is woefully mistaken. Okay, so maybe kind of give us a overview of what your particular interest is now in the blockchain and crypto world. What's exciting you most, and are you building any businesses in the arena? Well, it's funny. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, it's funny. I've been saying 17 companies for a long time. I think it's in my bio, but uh, my assistant and I were counting today. It's actually 19. So <laughs> somewhere along the way, I forgot to add one, and now I forgot to add two. <laughs> They must have been bad businesses. You're like, eh, they're just okay businesses. You know, there's a lot of things where, I mean, like, I'll give you a great example. Video Plaza, where I was chairman of the board. I'm not a founder. The three founders are Swedish. They started the company. But a year in, I joined. And uh, and when I joined, I I stepped in as chairman. First, I was the first English-speaking board member and then chairman. So I, I should count that as some way of helping grow and build a business. But it's not a founding position. Right, right. But, there are other companies where I was a co-founder or I contributed an idea on a big piece of equity, but I didn't roll up my sleeves and join that business as an operator. Um, actually, ironically, right now, I'm operating a business called Transform. My friend, Michael Turpin, is suing AT&T for a whole bunch of money. Mm -hmm. And it's taking a lot of his time, so I'm actually running his company for him as an interim CEO or interim president, which is funny because I actually haven't done this in a long time where you step into someone else's company and run it, but you didn't found it. You have none of the history, so you're just operating. You know, you get up in the morning and you're, making sure people are doing what they're supposed to be doing and effectively and preferably slightly better than they did before. So you look good. And so that's been kind of interesting. But for me, I love helping founders and people with big ideas manifest those into really successful businesses. And as I've grown older, I've realized that I think it's time to help grow the next generation of founders. And so I do that in a number of ways. I have a small seed fund called Hydronic Ventures. I make small seed investments. I give both time and money. If you don't want my time, you definitely don't want my money. Um, I'm a, uh, an advisory board member of something called the Creative Instruction Lab, which is one of the world's largest accelerator incubators for big T technology companies. It started mm. in Rotman in Toronto. So AI, blockchain, robotics, uh, material science, a couple of other odd verticals. We have a smart cities vertical. It's now, I think, 400 companies came through the program in 11 locations in five countries last year. So That's it's awesome. really, it's gotten very big. I joined when it was Great. one group. <laughs> mm. um, and there's been some big, big exits there. And then I, I'm 
interestingly, I'm having a lot of conversations now about sort of taking my investing to the next level and joining a larger fund. On the other hand, I'm having conversations with, I can't name any of these people, but larger, particularly blockchain companies who are looking for seasoned management to take the company to the next level. Maybe they raised a lot of money, but they realize they're not sure what to do with the cash. So I spend a lot of my time sort of at this interesting crossroads as founders we often do where run something big, start something new, each has its own benefits and strengths. But I always look at the measure I always take is which one of these is going to have the biggest impact on my grandchildren. And that's actually where I try and make my choices today. You started yeah. late, like, you know, because you um, we're look, we're on video here, even though this is an audio podcast and you look as old as me and uh, you've got teenagers still. I have well, I have two teenagers and a baby. So yeah, I new mom. <laughs> I call it daughter 3.0 mom 2.0. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of gray there. To, uh, to have a one-year-old. So, boy, you're in it for the long haul. That's true. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm I really grateful that I'm healthy and I have an amazing life where I could have another daughter. Um, and it, she was just the light of my life. And it's interesting, being around her and my teenagers gives me a very different perspective of technology. So my teenagers don't really understand the blockchain, although they used to get paid their allowance in uh, Ethereum. They spent most of it on CryptoKitties, by the way. Uh... <laughs> Actually, well, it's a funny they, story. They bought all these crypto good. kitties. For a while, they were in the money, right? And so they were really excited. They, you know, they were doubling down. They were trading. And then when the market correction came, they came to the regulator, <laughs> seeking right recompense for some, you know, bad trading activity. And I had to explain that's not how it worked. That's not now they works. they convert that allowance directly into fiat as fast as possible. Right. <laughs> you know, Joel and I were having that conversation the other day, too, because like some people come on the show and they'll like pay sponsorship in their tokens. And we're like, dude, you know, that whole idea that was that we're going to hold these tokens and they're going to be worth they're going to hit the moon while well, they're not. We, we need to remember to sell these as soon as we get them sometime. Yeah, right. that market, that market correction is for sure. And I love that. I actually pay my kids in crypto uh, allowance as well. I've actually started them out paying them in silver coins so they have a nice little collection of silver coins and then my son at one point had was trading some silver coins in for cryptos and so it was like it's fun i love teaching them about that and and both of my kids my son my son's just turned 18 and my daughter is 14 almost 14 and so like they understand the cryptos they're learning all about it and, and then you're right it is interesting to watch them and how they circumnavigate their particular world today with most of it it was just like i think the the culmination of that was this past weekend whenever you know we were sitting there both of my kids were just over the moon they couldn't wait to watch these youtubers box like, <laughs> yeah. yeah by the way i i won coolest dad of the year if you look at my uh at my snap at my uh uh instagram account there's a picture of me and logan paul i, I got interviewed on a podcast right after him in vegas last year and my kids could not imagine that I was on the same podcast as Logan. Like that was, they literally just, their brains exploded. Right. They could care less about like, you know, CNN, NBC. They don't care about any of that. Like you and Logan Paul were on the same podcast. Wow. Oh, yeah. You're famous. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I had a similar thing with my daughter when she liked Jake Paul and I went on stage right after him and I gave him a fist bump and she thought that was the coolest thing. She's like, did you get a picture with him? I was like, no, I, who, who is he? She's like, oh my god, Dad, that was Jake Paul. Oh, sorry. I guess I, I guess I should have gotten a photo for you. Um, so, 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 where do you where do you see things heading then? I mean, so you know that blockchain is disrupting every space. Like, 
where if you were to put in your predictor hat, like what industries are just going to kill it in the future here with this? I mean, we know we talked a little bit about, you know, financial services and maybe some ad tech stuff, but like, like what really gets you going? So it's really interesting. So at a scaling thing, I, I gave a talk a year ago where I talked about like, if you think about the internet, the internet, I remember the moment I saw the World Wide Web the first time. It was a piece of software called Mosaic. There was no Netscape yet. Mark Andreessen had not left the University mm-hmm. of Illinois. And my friend was trying to explain the web to me, to someone who knew a lot about the internet already, but who didn't, like, hypertext was like, I, I'd seen hypercard. I wasn't really very impressed. You know, it seemed like a bad game engine. And so he was trying to explain this to me. And he finally got me to a stupid Mac, his, uh, his little Mac, which is a tiny little computer compared to my PC, which had a much bigger screen. And he was clicking link to link. And I was looking at the URL. And I realized that one link was in Switzerland. One link was in Japan. And my head suddenly exploded because I realized that this was going to manifest as totally transforming publishing, e-commerce, messaging. Like I could think of sort of a set of things that were going to be changed, mostly communications and telecommunications and a bit of publishing and commerce, right? That's what, like 10, 5, 10% of GDP max. If you think about the blockchain affecting supply, all those things, plus supply chain, physical goods, financial systems, lending, hypothecating, you're at like 50, 52% of GDP. I mean, this is like a technology which will transform and affect everything. And I think that's where people go wrong is they like want it right now. It took from that moment I had my internet account on my dad's machine downstairs when I was 13 years old to in my mid-20s, it was sort of useful, but not really. It was really the web that made that, you know, a really interesting thing in 1984, 85. That's when it really became something that had some utility to it. So it takes a long time for these technologies to manifest. So where we are now is we've had the big aha moment, just like the Netscape IPO, where it's like, oh, my God, there's something here. And then we go through the J curve of, of disillusionment, where a bunch of people raise a lot of money for ideas not very well thought out with bad management teams and not really great go-to-market plans. Particularly here, because the regulators, I think, are restricting the growth of the business in the U.S. We, have, we see some odd financial shenanigans, mostly about founders trying to get their money so they could build a business. And they look at the regulatory regime in the U.S. and they say, uh, not here. Let's start this in Switzerland or Cayman yep. or Switzerland or Singapore. Mm-hmm. That's not good for anybody. Because if you're spending 20% of your funds raised on financial jurisdictional issues, you're probably not spending that building great products for great for customers. And I think we need to, as Americans, we need to think about that and think about how we build sandboxes like Wyoming has done to really yeah. facilitate the growth of businesses. But that said, I'm very long on this technology and I'm very long on founders finding ways of using this technology. I mean, I go to startups, I'll start up pitching all the time. And it used to be there'd be like one blockchain company and three AI companies and 15 you know, Uber for insert market sector here. And now it's like 10 blockchain companies, three Uber for something, you know? And so the the founders, those young people who are getting out of universities, even if they don't study blockchain universities, they are really, really thinking about this technology as a tool, as a sort of lever to crack open big markets and big problems. Well, you know, you referenced how we're still in early internet age right now only technology continues to double every year and you know only took smartphones to commandeer the market from razor and and uh you know nokia five six years so with that in mind and and because technology is moving so quickly 
is it going to be one thing that triggers mass adoption of crypto or do you feel like we're still on a little bit of a slow burn before this takes off and hits mainstream so i think the critical moment already happened which is people started to understand that digital jurisdictionalist money had had some utility had a purpose what we are is it's a distribution problem not a, not a conceptual problem right so we've already seen that on the digital money side i mean People, anyone who's lived in Venezuela or any country who has strict currency controls has figured out the power of jurisdictionless programmable money. What comes next is plugging that money into the existing and future ecosystems, and that's happening real time as we see. Um, what I do think is we, as the people building these platforms and systems, really should start to think about something, which is like, I'll give you an example. I went to go trade some uh, security tokens on open finance. and. I logged in, I had to use MetaMask. I hadn't used that MetaMask account in a while. It took me like 10 minutes to figure it out. I realized they'd set it up with the wrong account. They'd connected two of my companies, which are different companies and have different shareholders. And I just looked at this and I thought, this is insanity, right? Like there's there's no way my mom, who would actually trade stocks, is gonna log into open finance and trade security tokens with all this friction in the ecosystem. And so that means we have to move past a bunch of this stuff and get to the next generation of user interface and user experience. The other thing is, is that although the blockchain has some real power to it, things like transparency and privacy and security, we aren't very good at, I mean, we aren't very good at these yet. Like the, the example I always give is show me a multi-sig wallet on Ethereum that works. And you can't, because there isn't one. There's some that kind of are okay, but you wouldn't put large sums of money for long periods of time in those wallets. You know, think about the parity hack. And so and the third thing I would say is things like ad tech, Everyone knows that blockchain is a key to unlocking value and both for consumers and for advertisers, but no one has quite solved it yet. But I see some really exciting people attacking the space right now. So I think right now we're in that place where it's 10 companies are trying and two will succeed, one exponentially. But picking winners today is really hard because it's just really early in the platform. So, so having your background in you know building websites and advertising and, and running Razorfish, what are your thoughts around, you know, Brave and, and the BAT token, the basic attention token? You know, the CEO over there, Brandon, uh, or Brendan, he actually was the guy who was the, the lead developer at Netscape. And then he went on and created Firefox. And now he's doing Brave. And now the basic attention token is uh, rewarding consumers. You talked about how you're customer centric. And now we're starting to see where the consumers are starting to get rewarded for their actions online. Like, how do you maybe see that evolving over time? Because to me, you know, as a consumer and as a creator, it seems to me to be the right mix potentially if, if, if it keeps evolving in the right way. Because for so long, social media has been taking our data and taking our content and, and they've been making money off of us. But now we have an opportunity. The everyday creator has an opportunity. So it seems to me to be like, ah, it's a cool evolution of the web. I love that. Travis so, but, asked you a question, answered it himself, and and I'll give it back to you. <laughs> well, it's funny. So, so Brittany Kaiser is a very good friend of mine, and I'm a big fan of Welcome data. Brittany. You know, own your data. Um, and I, I have for a long time. I, I I actually don't I don't know if I was the first, but I was one of the first in the media industry to talk about oil being the the new the, the data being the new oil. And I did this because when I was chief exec of the digital holding company for all the digital assets, the Daily Mail, we had these classified businesses, we had publishing businesses, and all these businesses were creating data, and we didn't really know what to do with it. But in aggregate, 
we were one of the largest holders of consumer data in the world. And, and so I knew that we needed to figure this out, right? And so I think the basic attention token, I haven't actually met the founder, I'd love to. Um, I think it's, it's a really interesting innovation experiment at the beginning of the sort of thin end of the wedge. Now, whether that wins or something else wins, I don't think we know. What I haven't really seen that accomplished yet is wide distribution. And so I always, this is the thing I always describe is there's this, you can build the best technology in the world, but if you don't achieve wide distribution, it doesn't matter. And where he struggled is getting media companies or content creators or someone to hold that and say, you, if you want to work with me, you have to use this. And when that happens, I think you'll see a big overwhelming wave of change. And, and we haven't seen that yet, I think partially because many of the big media companies don't understand this space and they're scared of it. And when they do learn about it, they're like, oh, I'm Viacom, I'm just going to make my own. Right, which never this is. We always see these waves of innovation where the, the big companies want to sort of have their own, and they hire a team, and they build a lab. But sometimes, like Libra, I think there's an effort to really seed a market, but not interfere very much. And I'm really the thing that disappoints me the most about the sort of U.S. federal government's response to Libra is that I actually think it is an amazing opportunity for them to create a sandbox with a market leader to push the development of an infrastructure and ecosystem. Without owning it, because it's a it's a nonprofit, it's a Swiss it's a Swiss foundation. It really is about global inclusion, and it really wasn't around having your data on Facebook and monetizing it. Although they could have done that, and so something like BAT in combination with Libra starts to get really interesting. And I think that the U.S. regulators, rather than encouraging that or creating a, a, spa a safe space for that business to evolve and grow, instead just shut it down. And I think that is very sad for me. So the answer on basic attention token is I think in principles a lot of really interesting stuff. Distribution and adoption have been their challenge today, which is actually, I would say, the problem with a lot of crypto in general. Mm. You know, we just we're still on the bleeding edge. As long as my cryptos don't keep bleeding, you know, I'm a, I, I'm ready for the next you know bull run to really take off. As there are most people that survive the great crypto winter, and there's a lot of speculation about what is going to be the triggering event. Is it going to be China's adoption? Is China going to do a reversal on Bitcoin? Because they sure seem to be doing a reversal on everything else blockchain related. If that announcement hits, now I'm going to answer my own question. <laughs> if that announcement hits that China reverses their position on Bitcoin, you know, being illegal. I think that's it. All bets are off. Well, they just re so they just said they just said that Bitcoin mining is legal now. They right. they're no mining. longer going to block mining. Yeah. So one of the things that's really interesting, I think, to think about, and actually a half written blog post on this topic, which is that over the last three six weeks, we've seen a number of really important innovations and developments in the financial markets that have largely gone unnoticed by the media, who are distracted by the U.S. political or the announcement in China, and that is the following. Russia began trading oil in the euro. Now, why does this matter? Well, oh. US dollar, because of Bretton Woods, an agreement we made with Great Britain during World War One and World War II, well, all commodities, but particularly oil, is traded in US dollars. And that means if you're a country that's a net importer of oil, or most countries, you need to hold dollars, which is one of the reasons our financial system can have all this debt and be very healthy, is that all these people are holding US securities as a hedge against the, the sort of volatility of the dollar. So everyone has a vested stake in seeing the US dollar be very stable. What you're seeing now is the beginning steps of a migration to a multi-currency multi basket of, of currencies for the trading of derivatives and the trading of commodities. 
oil being the first and oil ha- and, and Russia has a very big strategic interest in moving away from the dollar, having that not be controlled by the U.S. The second thing that happened is that China and Russia began the development of a new wire network that competes with SWIFT. Right. This is important because the U.S. weaponizes the SWIFT network to stop money transfers in and out of the U.S., which is where you got to go if you want dollars or dollar bonds or treasuries and things like this. And the third thing that happened very quietly is that Ripple became the largest wire transfer network in Latin America. So more money is transferred over the, over the Ripple network than any other network in the world. And so that really, really matters. Those three things together mean that we're seeing a slow and steady evolution of the, the infrastructure that moves money around our, our planet and our economy in ways that we've never seen in 110, 130 years. That's a huge evolution. Right. And so all those little things are the beginning sort of butterfly wings in various places. But there is a hurricane coming. And I think that hurricane ends with fiat currencies being largely irrelevant in a global economy. Now, what I, if I was a genius, I could tell you which digital currencies will survive. I don't know. Will they be sovereign digital currencies? Will they be things like Bitcoin, which are abstracts? Will they be, you know, Tether or stable coins? Or I, I just can't ask the question today. But I do know, interestingly, I make more interest on stable coins than I do on digital currencies today in my DeFi wallet. Which is they, they pay like eight percent, right? Celsius was paying me 12% if I hold some Celsius too. That's kind of crazy, right? I, there's no savings account in America that'll pay me 12% cash on cash. Celsius is doing some pretty great stuff. Like I, I noticed like, it's, what is it, like once a week or something, you get a little bit, you get a, you get a little uh, interest kicked in. Yeah. Something. I, I'm a big Celsius fan. Uh, I like Alex, he's a friend. Um, I like that business very much. I'm a big fan of DeFi. I'm a big fan of Salt, who's been gone, has gone through some challenges, but I think those guys still have a real opportunity to build. I think that, you know, if you think about a revolutionizing the financial system, building blocks matter, right? So banking, on-ramps and off-ramps, the ability to get fair exchange and the ability to do all these things, all digital, those are the things that need to be built next. Yeah. How long until you think the U.S. global, the U.S. dollar is no longer the global reserve? Because you just mentioned that, like here, here the foundations and the rails are being set up and Ripple's doing this and China and Russia and Wow, the U.S. dollar has, has, you know, if you look historically of who's had the reserve currency over time, like Portugal had it for around 100 years and Spain had it for around 120 years. And then, you know, like over the last 500 years, it's like the U.S. dollar is about run its course. And it's like the well, it's inflation rates right? are getting so high. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? Like, so what percentage of Bitcoin is mined in China? It's a staggering amount of, of mm-hmm. Bitcoin that's managed there. And if you think about BCH uh, and some of the other uh, Bitcoin forks, they were predominantly driven by a small number of foreign speculators and the Chinese government who really wanted to see more digital currencies and more optionality, I think, but also maybe more control. So I think that we are seeing the rise of the Asian markets. We're seeing the rise of smaller countries who adopt digital currencies first are going to be in a position to provide banking services and some of the other jurisdictional services that in previously places like Delaware or Malta or the Netherlands survived. But I think the real thing, and I'm not really anti-US, I'm a US citizen, my children are American citizens. I worry that right now we have a regulator and regulators who are, their caution, which I understand, is causing the US to fall behind. And I would rather see more thoughtful regulation that create sandboxes and, and safe spaces for businesses to evolve and grow, where just like they did with the internet. If you think about the internet, at first they were like, destroy it, it's going to destroy copyright and movies and television, and studios are making more money than ever now, thanks to Netflix. Um, 
And so I think we need to, to, to maybe dial back the caution 10, 20, 30% and dial up the encouragement of innovation and next generation thinking, because that's what's going to make both the U.S. and the world a better place today and the future. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. And uh, it's so cool to see innovation happening. I just wish more of it was encouraged and permissible here in the uh, the U.S. Well, the good news and the bad news is innovation will happen there regardless. I mean, the, even the dark ages, innovation was happening. It was just clamped down by the church. And so, like, the challenge for the U.S. is if we want to retain our, our position as a market leader, we have to be a market that embraces and extends innovation at all times not one which is trying to sort of wind the clock back 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I love about uh, about digital currencies, and particularly around the sort of ecosystem of digital money and programmable money, is it eliminates fraud. And so the fraud thing is funny. Like right now, the Bitcoin was sort of the currency of fraud for a while. Well, first of all, I don't think that was very true. I think it was the currency of illicit transactions. But if you're going to launder large sums of money, US dollars are a far better way of doing it. <laughs> but that there's this patina of fraud around our industry, which has to do with sort of bad security practices and lots of other things. And because much of the fraud in the traditional markets is kept hidden through legal frameworks, which don't allow you to sue, for instance, AT&T for letting your SIM, your SIM number get uh, stolen by an employee. But going forward, when you look at big criminal networks, they're actually being caught because of the use of digital currency. So I have a cousin who's in uh, asset forfeiture for one of the major law enforcement organizations. He loves Bitcoin because he's like, look, these idiots are moving Bitcoin around. They're not the brightest works in the, in the shed. And we can just trace that money. He's like, it's way easier than bags of cash moving around from drug points. He's like, so please, if, you know, we can encourage drug dealers to use Bitcoin. It's much easier for us to butt them and much easier for us to get the assets back. It's kind of an interesting idea. If you think about like two of the biggest hacks, I mean, Mount Cox, they found those guys in, uh, in Greece running an exchange simply by the collection of hashes, which were known to be Mt. Gox hashes. So, and you know, then we have the pornography ring in Asia. So it's really, we're starting to see a rise of both pseudonymity, but also the security features of blockchain. It would be very hard to take bribes the size of what most of our Republican congressmen have taken if all money moved over digital networks and was audible by anyone. So true. That's why they don't want that transparency. But man, blockchain and government would be so nice. But um, maybe I agree. I totally agree. But look, yeah. it's starting in small bits. It's true. Great stuff, Titus. Appreciate you coming on. Now, now the real important questions. Are you still a metalhead? And who are the top three bands like Desert Island Music? What are you taking with you? So I uh, I worked at the BBC for a while. So I actually I somewhere around here, I have a Desert Island list of all 10 albums. Um Number one of my albums actually will probably surprise you. It's by a guy named James Lavelle and a, a sort of side project of his called uh, Uncle. Um, and Uncle is uh, him plus Tom York and a bunch of other people. Uh, and I just think that Uncle is, and James Lavelle are two of the most talented musicians in the world. Led Zeppelin 3 is definitely number two, um, because if you don't have Zeppelin on your list, you're not a human being. And probably three would be an album you wouldn't even you won't even know. It's by a band called Talk Talk from the eighties. Uh, and after how, they released, how do not know Talk Talk? It's my life. So, so what's great about Talk Talk is exactly the first two albums were synth pop and trashy eighties music. Right. Their third record was called Laughing Stock. It was atmospheric jazz, and the players on that album are some of the most amazing players in the world. And that album listened to in its entirety over and over and over. It's been on my playlist since, since it came out in the 80s. And 
is really a magical piece of music that most people have never heard. I just looked it up and I'm totally putting it on my uh, to listen list. How do you spell James Lavelle's name? James L. Actually, U-N-K-L-E is the way to find him. So all of, all of his best music is under Uncle, which is uh, he's one of the founders of Boax. Got it. Hmm. Found it. I learned something new and I'll add some to our bad crypto playlist there on Spotify that we keep since we've mentioned those bands here. Uh, Titus, where can people find you? Um, best way to find me is on Twitter at Richard Titus uh, or Instagram RD underscore Titus, uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'd love to hear from you and connect in any way. I'm pretty accessible. Fantastic. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Dude, that Titus is just a wealth of information and so many accomplishments there. Like, I'm keeping my eye on what he's going to do next. And he's just a super nice guy. For sure. Yeah, brilliant dude. He's done a lot of epic things. I mean, if you've been in digital marketing like Joel and I have, the name Razorfish, that carries some pretty significant weight. Like, they've done some amazing stuff back in the day. And so you know that Richard Titus, he's been doing lots of things, making the digital world mo' better for a long time so big ups and big thank you to him for coming on the show great to i thought him. they named that business after arnold arnold razorfish it's not it's not true yes it could be i wonder if somewhere in the world there is somebody named arnold razorfish do you ever do that you ever like hear come up with a name and think i wonder if somebody's actually got that name because i remember like when i was a kid you would pull out the phone book remember the phone book i do right and you would open it up to the z's to see, like, you know, what are the crazy names that people have? And then mm -hmm. you'd, as kids, you'd laugh at them. And I'd probably laugh at them now as well. And I just wonder, is there somewhere in the world, is there an Arnold Razorfish? Probably not. I really I really like that anybody is, like, anybody with the last name of Young, big fan of them, because they like, alphabetically after me. There's very few alphabetically after me. There was a guy uh, in my, in my uh, in a couple classes below me. His last name was Zelmer. Big fan of that because he's a Z and I'm W and I so alphabetically I used to be B short so I was like the first person in the first row and then I became Travis Wright and I was the last person in the last row and then whenever I got adopted my teacher was the OCD and she made me move my desk made everybody move their desk around because we were no longer alphabetical so since I was Travis Wright now now I'm hanging out with the Jokers like TJ Stewart Jason Stearns. Mike Thomas, all the jokers are back there. And I think that really enhanced my jokerificness because without hanging out with those guys, I, I might have been more quiet and reserved. Aren't you glad that uh, she switched around the desks? I guess so. Hanging out with those guys was fun time for sure. Everything is as it's meant to be one way or another. Even this, Travis, who knew that after meeting you, what, five years or so ago that one day we would be hosting one of the top crypto shows in the world and having legions of people who for whatever reason thought they would tune in and listen and if we would have known that in 2013 well we would have started the show earlier and we would have bought crypto earlier and um a lot of things would be a lot of things would be different have your own we, private we, island i'd have a hell of a lot more satoshi stacked <laughs> Well, that's okay. We're stacking them now as best we can. And while we don't give financial advice, many who are paying attention to what's happening with Bitcoin are also stacking sats with the hope that even though John McAfee is not likely to be right about a million dollars by the end of 2020, we do see a price increase hopefully on the way with the halving happening in May 
2020. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate you. Hope that you are enjoying the holiday season as it ramps up here. There should be Christmas things popping up all over the place now, if it hasn't already. You know, here in uh, France, Travis, they start the Christmas celebration uh, before our Thanksgiving, and they have Christmas markets that last oh, I love for the Christmas entire markets. month. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, love, love. I, I tell you what, folks. If you ever want to do something really cool and you want to go to Europe sometime and, you know, go check out some of the Christmas markets, but go to Munich sometime in the Christmas season. And specifically, they do it twice a year. They have the running of Krampus. And Krampus is the opposite of Santa. Santa is the person that comes and gives gifts and candies to the good boys and girls. But what about the bad boys and girls, the bad ones who listen to bad crypto? Well, Krampus comes to visit them, and he's sort of like a goat demon. And there's hundreds of them running around, and it's pretty terrifying, but it's it's pretty epic, too. I really enjoyed that. What's the pr- plural of Krampus? Is it Krampi? Krampuses. <laughs> I want it to be Krampi. You can, you can make it do whatever you want, Mr. Jokov. You're a wordifier. Do what you like. Do they, do they take gifts from children? Does Krampus take things? No, they scare them, and they a lot of them have... Like the little bundles of sticks that they put together to make it be like a broom, and they'll come, and they all have like a big bell normally on their back, and they run. It's like bang, 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 and they like smacking people on the legs with their bundles of sticks. Like a couple of them hit me, and I I looked at them, and I'm like, dude, I'm about to hit back. <laughs> so it's like Halloween in December, basically. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. It was really fun. Krampus, check it out. K R A M P U S. You should Google it or DuckDuckGo it, or Quantit, or whatever it is you do to search for things, because it's terrifying and hilarious at the same time. And what was really great was after the parade thing was over, and, like, you could see all the Krampuses had taken their head masks off, and they're, like, smoking cigarettes. It's like, that's a hard damn day of work. They're scaring all the kids. I see them all walking down the alley without their head on. They're all sweating, smoking cigarettes. They're hitting you in the legs, and you're like, you're Krampus in my style. Yeah. No, out, I, I had some welts i was like dad is that you <laughs> i don't know why i'm laughing at that that's child abuse <laughs> all right well thanks for listening everybody we appreciate you make sure that you subscribe i know we say it every episode but there's a reason we say it because it's important for us if you don't listen do- we keep on trying to tell you you don't do anything about it my god hit subscribe right now Oh my gosh. Stay bad, everyone. Stay bad. Use Travis as your example. Stop trying to tell you! Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.